worship ministers. Um, I was feeling a bit tired this morning until that song. <laughs> and uh, I got my energy back. I hope you all did too. Pray with me. Uh, Father, you have heard our praises to you this morning. Receive our worship, God. And as we approach your word this morning, we come with eyes and ears and hands and hearts that are open. So would you please speak to us in these coming minutes? I pray for a whole lot less of me and a whole lot more of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, new community, it's great to be back with you. It was 10 days ago that I stood up here in front of you, and whoever organized that service gave me five minutes. And I really appreciate the generosity this Sunday morning to be able to actually speak for a few minutes longer than that. Um, Emily and I spoke at length about what the message would be this morning. I had a message that I was all ready to bring to you, and I thought, it'll be just the right one. And as we talked, it became evident that that wasn't true. And so we're going with the chronology of Easter season. Yes, Easter does have a season. Last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. And for the next several weeks now, we are in the Easter season leading up to Pentecost when the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And today, I think, is the most accurate chronologically of any of the Sundays of the Easter season, because as you're going to see in the passage today, it begins on the evening of Resurrection Sunday. It says so right in the Word. But then as we get into the passage, it ends one week later, and here we are, one week after Easter, and that's exactly where we're going in the Word today, what happens one week following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if I've got you completely confused, let me read the passage, and I think it will become more clear to you. I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting in verse 19. I'm using the New International Version today. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for, few of, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed and they, when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, 
my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord for us today. The Apostle Thomas plays rather prominently in the passage today. And interestingly enough, he does not have any prominence at all during the course of the four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's mentioned by name once when Jesus called the Twelve, which he named and designated as Apostles. Thomas is on the list, and we never hear of him again in any of those Gospels. John mentions him a couple times, and now this is kind of Thomas's day in the sun here at the end of the Gospel of John. In the passage that we look at today, Thomas is mentioned because of his absence, not because of something great that he does. He's mentioned because he doesn't show up. And then we're told that Thomas doesn't believe the report that the other apostles brought to him regarding the resurrection of Jesus. And then at the end, we have this interchange between Jesus and Thomas. Now, this is just personal opinion, but I'm going to share it with you. I don't believe that the church has really seen Thomas for who he was. I think we've given him a bad rap because we've put a label on him. And I see some heads nodding right now because when we speak of Thomas, we always put this word in front of it. And what is that word? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. You can leave the walls of this building and talk to people in your neighborhood and they'll be familiar with the phrase, oh, that person's such a doubting Thomas. Oh, yeah, she was such a doubting Thomas. And, and here we have labeled this guy by kind of like the worst thing about him that's recorded in Scripture. And what's interesting to me is we don't do that with other characters in the Bible. I mean, have you ever heard of Paul called persecuting Paul? No, but that's what he did before he, he came to faith in Christ. What, what about um, murdering Moses, right? Killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand. But, you know, we kind of, that's not the label we put on Moses. He was the leader of God's people taking him out of the land. How about Abraham's wife, lying Sarah? Lying Sarah. No, we don't do that. Why do we do that to Thomas? I have no idea. If you can figure that out, let me know. But as we look at the passage today, I'm going to suggest we've put the wrong label on this man. I want us to consider three truths that are very apparent in this passage today, and we're going to end by a little time of application of those three truths. This first one is, is, is simple. I'm preaching to the choir here. Good news is for sharing. Good news should not be kept to oneself. Good news is for sharing. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, now John doesn't tell us exactly when they told Thomas that, but I picture them doing it that night after Jesus left. If not, first thing the next morning. This was the most exciting news that they had have ever had. Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and he's come to us, and we've seen him in bodily form. We know this is the real deal. They can't wait to go bring this good news to Thomas. 
John doesn't tell us why Thomas was absent when the rest of the disciples were there. But we do see in the passage that there was some real fear among the apostles regarding the Jewish religious leaders. The very ones who had facilitated the execution of Jesus Christ, they're still out there. And they're sort of gunning for those followers of Jesus that have stayed around. And so we're told the, the, the disciples were, were fearful and they were behind locked doors and they were worried that they might be found out. So I think we can safely conclude that Thomas was probably not willing to risk his life for something he didn't believe in. It's like, it's over. What, what are we doing gathering together and drawing a crowd? It's over. But the others cared enough about Thomas that they didn't want him to miss out on the best news ever. So they sought him out. They figured out where he was. They found him and they shared the good news with him. Now Thomas's response to the news that they shared with him was really not all that great. But that's okay because they were faithful to communicate the good news. They did their part. That's what they were supposed to do. They couldn't control Thomas's response. We had it recorded for us, and it's, ooh, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of ugly. Basically, he says, I don't believe. I don't believe what you just told me. I don't believe what Jesus said when he told us multiple times, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to be executed, and I'm going to rise in three days. He didn't believe that. And he went so far as to say, not only do I not believe, but I'm not going to believe unless my criteria is met. I, I want to be able to, to, to see his hands. I want to be able to touch those wounds. I want to be able to put my hand in his side. If that doesn't happen, I will not believe. Now, Scripture does not record for us the reaction of those who had brought the good news to Thomas. I would imagine that they were somewhat disappointed. But they had been faithful. They had shared the good news, and good news is for sharing. The second truth I would like us to see from this passage today is that Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he is. He doesn't require anything. Check off these five boxes before I come. No, no, no. He comes to where Thomas is. But interestingly enough, this is kind of God's MO in the Bible. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. God comes to where Abraham is, this, this idol-worshiping, nomadic shepherd out in the desert. God comes to him, and he tells him how he's going to use him to change the world. God comes to Moses when he's hiding out for 40 years in the desert because of the murder that he had committed. God comes to him, meets Moses exactly where he is on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, you guys got to do this and you can come over here. No, the Holy Spirit comes to them exactly where they were. And here now Thomas, right in the middle of his doubt. Jesus comes to him. Thomas responds to Jesus' presence. My Lord and my God. Wouldn't you agree that's pretty much an indication of transformation in this man's life? My Lord and my God coming from I will not believe. So because Thomas' friends 
had told him the good news, and because Jesus met him right where he was, in the middle of his bad place, Thomas is able to rejoin the family. He's not on the outside any longer. He rejoins the family. Jesus meets him exactly where he is. And the third truth I want us to see in this passage is that Jesus won't leave Thomas where he is. He meets him where he is, but he's not going to leave him where he is. And in the, in the examples I shared before of like Abraham and, and, and Moses and, and others in Scripture, uh, God meets them where they are, but he's got a job for them. He has a, a charge for them, a challenge for them, an invitation for them. It's not just, oh, let's just meet and then go our separate ways. Not at all. And the same is true with Thomas. When Jesus uses these words with Thomas, stop doubting and believe, He's asking Thomas to change. He's asking Thomas to open his eyes to reality and respond appropriately to that reality. And Thomas does. But believing that Jesus Christ was the resurrected Son of God was a good first step, but it wasn't the whole journey for Thomas. Jesus had much more in store for him. And that's why Jesus ends our passage today with these words that he shares directly with Thomas. And he says to him, because you have seen me, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I don't know how that verse lands on you. I always pictured Jesus kind of looking down at Thomas and shaking his finger at him. <laughs> you believe because you saw me. What about all those other people out there that will never see me? They're blessed. And I felt like he was kind of shaming him a little bit because of his unbelief. But I don't read that passage that way any longer. I read that, that verse there as, as Jesus giving Thomas a call. A call on his life, a, a, an invitation into ministry, a, a charge or an assignment for what Jesus has ahead of him. Believing in the resurrected Jesus Christ does not demand a face-to-face -face physical encounter with Jesus. And Jesus wants Thomas to understand that. That seeing is not the only path to believing. Okay, we've got a little saying, right? Well, seeing is believing. Jesus is saying, not always. Not always. And Jesus ends by talking to Thomas about some other people out there. Blessed are those people. And I think what he's saying to Thomas is there's a whole bunch of people out there, Thomas, that are not going to have the opportunity to see me, the physical resurrected Jesus. But they will indeed believe, and they will be blessed by entering into a relationship with me, Jesus says. I believe that this statement, out of the lips of Jesus, directed towards Thomas, became his north star for the rest of his life. I believe this is the charge that guided Thomas on his mission until the day of his death. You see, the Church history tells us that of all of the apostles, Thomas was the one who went the farthest 
carrying the good news to people who would never be able to see Jesus with their own eyes. Church history tells us that Thomas made, us, made it all the way to India and perhaps further sharing the gospel to people so that they also would have the opportunity of believing. Now, I have a slide here. I do have a slide. haven't had any yet, but now I have a slide. And this slide is my friend, Pastor Ansi Post. Ansi is a colleague and a friend, an ordained minister in the Evangelical Covenant Church. She's currently secretary of the Covenant Asian Pastors Association. Ansi was born in India to Indian parents, and at about age eight, they emigrated to the United States. Uh, Ansi and I served at the same church together in New Jersey for a span of about eight years. And uh, one Sunday, when I was uh, preaching, there was some mention made of Thomas in the scripture passage. And it occurred to me that Ansi's maiden name was Thomas, Ansi Thomas. And I knew her parents. They were there as well, Mr. and Mrs. Thomas. And so after the service, I went and, and, and talked to her, and I, I said, Ansi, I'm connecting some dots here. You know, you were born in India, and your parents brought you here, and I knew she'd grown up in a Christian family there in, in India. And I said, and you have the last name of Thomas. That was your maiden name. And she gave me that, that you don't understand, white man, do you, look? <laughs> she said, let me explain something to you. She went on to tell me that the province in India where she was born is a majority Christian province in the midst of an overwhelmingly majority non-Christian nation. And that in India there are 25 million followers of Jesus Christ and they trace their spiritual heritage to when Thomas came and brought the gospel to them. They, they have locations and stuff there. Where, this, is, this is where Thomas first brought the gospel. And here's the grave of the apostle Thomas here in our country. And she said that Thomas is one of the most common surnames in her part of India. It was just, people got it. It was, they accept that, yeah, Thomas. I'm Ansi Thomas. That's my name. Doubting Thomas. Hmm. I suggest that we consider renaming him Shouting Thomas because he proclaimed the good news to people who would never see Jesus. And right now there are 25 million living in India who responded to that good news. Now I'd like to just end this morning by, by trying getting real personal with some application here of these three truths because they're truths for us as much as they were for the Apostle Thomas. Good news, church, is still for sharing. The disciples did not write off Thomas because of his unbelief. Neither should you nor I write off anybody because of their unbelief. We are surrounded by people who are desperate for some good news. Can we agree to that? Now, God has placed you, New Community Covenant Church, in a certain neighborhood, in a certain part of Chicago, for a reason. 
because there are people out there that are desperate for good news. And I know that you are active in that way. I know that you are reaching out into your community, and I commend you for that. As individuals, we are placed in businesses and schools and homes and neighborhoods where people are desperate for good news. Now, how someone receives the good news, that's on them. But it's on us to be the ones who bring that good news and share it generously. Good news is still for sharing. Secondly, Jesus still meets us right where we are. No matter our past history, no matter our present condition, God extends his welcome to every man, woman, and child on this planet. Now, sometimes, because we've screwed up, we'll disqualify ourselves. Well, God certainly couldn't love me because of what I did or didn't do or said or, or didn't say. Or sometimes we've had other people disqualify us and tell us that, you know, we're, we're no good in God's sight. But Jesus never disqualifies anybody. He meets everybody right where they are. And finally, finally, Jesus loves us far too much to leave us where we are. His words to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. I was thinking of the song this morning when we talked about lay it down, lay it all down. That's what Jesus was asking him to do. Thomas, lay down this doubting thing. Release that. Release that at my feet. That's not what I have for you. Substitute that doubting with belief. We could fill in that sentence differently for us if we're dealing with fear or anxiety or whatever negative things that are not building us up. I think the words to Jesus, words from Jesus for us would be to stop that and, and, and believe, change to a position of, of faith. Relationship with us, us being in a relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus Christ is a great start. But it's not our whole story either, just as it wasn't for Thomas. Jesus' words to Thomas brought him back into the family. His faith in Jesus brought him back into the family. But the, the rest of the words from Jesus became the catalyst for the trajectory of the rest of his life, his, his mission, as Jesus spelled it out for him. Now, God makes us ambassadors. And he invites us to join with him in the great work that he's doing in building his kingdom here on this earth. Thomas serves as an example for us of what that can look like. The example of someone who receives God's grace and God's forgiveness and allows his grace and forgiveness to change the trajectory of their life. May each one of us, every one of us, choose to follow this example of Thomas that he has set for us. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes, two, three minutes. Carlton's going to play for us here. And I just want you to go, go interior for a bit, reflect a bit. But I want you to be thinking of the sentence that Jesus said to Thomas when he said, stop doubting and believe. And if you're bold enough, just ask God, is there something that I should be stopping and focusing more on belief, more on faith?
Is there something that is, is actually hindering my walk with the Lord? For Thomas, it was doubt. Jesus named it. For me, it might be anxiety. For somebody, it might be unhealthy relationships. It might be addictive practices. Who knows? If, if, if God reveals something to you there, you might need some help with that. And help is available. Help is available in this church. There are people that will pray with you. There are people that will talk with you or listen to you. Thomas needed others. He needed his friends, the apostles, to actually seek him out and encourage him even when he was in his place of doubt. And why did, why did Thomas show up the second week when he said that I don't believe? Well, I believe that during that week, the very seeds that were sown by the other apostles were starting to sprout in his life. And that his, his doubtful position was starting to show some cracks and some weaknesses in it. And by the time it was a week later, he was ready to show up. He said, I, I, I don't know, but I don't want to miss it if it really is true. Spend a few minutes in quiet right now before we come to the Lord's table and just ask God, is there something that I should be stopping and focusing on belief? Let's just take the next few minutes. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you for how intimate you are with us. And God, if you have revealed by your spirit anything to anyone in this room today that needs to be laid down, that needs to be released, that needs to be stopped, God, would you just give, give us some guidance, give us some direction, show us what that means, show us show us what the right next step is, that we can look at Thomas and the transformation that took place in his life and the fruit that that transformation brought forth. God, we would aspire to the same for us as individuals, for New Community Covenant Church, for our families, for our marriages, for our relationships. 
Please work there, God. Do your good work there in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Well, it's our privilege today to approach the, the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd just like to remind us of a couple things regarding the, the bread and the cup here. When Jesus instituted this sacrament with his disciples, he pointed backwards to the past downward to the present, and ahead into the future. Let me explain. In Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the word given there, when he said, this is my body given for you, is a, is a, is a, is a word of, of, of offering up or sacrificing or yielding his own body, or as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, his broken body. Jesus is speaking of his death. And in Matthew 26, Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And again, he is speaking of his death. And so as we approach this table, we are to remember the death of Jesus Christ. Reflect on the sacrifice that he made for us. But then in the, in the, in the present, Jesus says this in, in Luke 22, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And Jesus introduces here the fact that a new covenant is going into play. A covenant is a relationship, and it's a relationship between living persons. It's not a relationship between a dead person and a living person. It's a relationship with the resurrected Jesus. The disciples didn't get it at that point, but a few days later, they would. And Jesus is telling us to remember, we are in a current living covenant relationship with him now, today. And then finally, Jesus looks to the future. In Matthew 26, he says this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so there he's telling us to remember the promise that we will be reunited, physically reunited with Jesus to the point of sharing a meal with him, probably more than one. So as we come today, remember the sacrifice. Remember the current covenant relationship that we are in with Jesus Christ. And remember the promise of his return. And he's preparing a place for us and we will be together for eternity. The Apostle Paul, when he is addressing the Corinthian church in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, 